Acts chapter 2. Let's hold your place in Acts chapter 2. We'll read that first, and then we'll go back to the book of Joel chapter 2. We've been going through the book of Acts, uh, nearing the end of chapter 2 now uh, in our study of Acts, and we want to look at one verse in Acts as well as a few verses in Joel. We'll read several verses, but want to concentrate on one verse in Acts. If you don't know where Joel is, in my Bible it's on page 1194, probably won't help you though. In Cambodia, all the Bibles we use are all numbered the same. Uh, so we, would, we could always refer to the page number, but not so here. All right, you have it, Acts chapter 2, and Joel chapter 2. We'll start in Acts chapter 2 and read verses, verses 14 down through verse 21. The Bible says this, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show signs in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Acts chapter 2, or I'm sorry, Joel chapter 2. Hold your place in Acts. We will be back here shortly. Joel chapter 2, verse number 28. Now, why am I reading this? Because Peter is quoting from Joel in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to read the the original passage that he's quoting. See what it says. And it shall come to pass, verse 28, afterward that I will pour out of my spirit, pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders. See, I'm, I'm quoting Acts while I'm reading Joel. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we thank you for your word and the opportunity as children of God to meet together, to uh, focus our heart and attention upon you and upon your word, to learn, to grow. Lord, would you please meet with us, and by your Spirit, please teach us and instruct us. Help us to see the truth. Help us to know it. Help us to act upon it. I pray that each person in here would search their heart. Each person in here would search his his mind and his motives. Lord, would you please lead us in our study of your Word? Help me to say everything I should say and, and prevent me from saying the things I shouldn't. 
and uh, to speak in the right spirit and help your people to receive it in the right spirit. And I pray that you would bind and protect uh, any demonic or devilish forces that would seek to hinder your word or snatch it away out of the hearts of your people and out of the hearts of those that hear this morning. Lord, we certainly do need your help. Lord, we're nothing. We can't do anything without you. So please help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 2, uh, as I said, is a quotation. Peter partially is quoting from, uh, from Joel uh, chapter 2. And one thing that's been, that's been brought up, and this is a feature of many prophecies in, in uh, the New Testament that are, when, in other words, when you see a prophecy and you see it says, as it is written or something similar, and you go back to the Old Testament and you read that passage that's being quoted, sometimes you see there are two, two things that we understand to be very different things and spread, spread apart in very different times according to New Testament theology and truth seem to be put right together in the Old Testament. And this is one example. For instance, in, in, uh, in Joel, it talks about the Spirit of God coming and people prophesying, and we saw that. That happened in Acts chapter 2. But then at the rest of the, 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 the final part of, of Joel chapter 2, all these references to signs in the heavens and the earth, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, and it talks about the day of the Lord coming, which is, of course, a reference to the second coming of Christ in judgment. So the question is, why does Peter quote that passage but the rest of it about the signs and the blood and the fire and the moon and the blood and all that kind of stuff, why isn't that also part of what he's preaching? And it's, sometimes it can confuse us, but the reality is many, many passages of Scripture in, that are prophetic do this. For As an example, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, listen to this. This is an Old Testament passage. Listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Now that's obviously a reference to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He rode on a donkey into Jerusalem, lowly. We know it's in all the gospels. We saw that. But then you keep reading and it says, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. This sounds like judgment. And the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from, from sea to sea and from the river to even to the ends of the earth. That's a reference to the, the kingdom of Christ. So you have Jesus coming into Jerusalem, which we know when that happened, on a donkey. And then in the next verse, it says that he'll, his dominion will be to the ends of the earth talking about his kingdom. You see, but what is not mentioned is the time. See, what you have often in prophecy, and I'll talk about this and we'll keep going, but what you have in prophecy is the Lord states two different things or sometimes multiple things, events, with no specific time included, and we should take that at face value. Let me give you an example. If I were to say, for my life, if I were to say, and I was talking to Ari about this not too long ago, if I were to say, well, I, uh, I was in the Marine Corps, and I was a missionary, and uh, you know, I was a pastor of a church. You know, I say that, all of those things are true. But I, without specifying 
when those things happened and how much of a span of time and all those things, you might be confused and you might assume that they happened close together when in fact being in the, in the Marine Corps did not happen directly adjacent to going to the mission field and, and being in the Marine Corps also did not have, was not directly connected to me being the pastor of the church. But they, it's still true. And so that's the way prophecy is. The Lord says one thing in prophecy and it's partially fulfilled and that just pauses and then it, it will continue. And so all these signs that we read in Joel chapter 2 about the blood and the fire and vapor, vapor of smoke and the moon and the blood and the signs in the heaven and the earth, those are all perfectly described in Matthew chapter 24, talking about the second coming, the second advent of Christ, when Christ comes to judge. Those things will happen. And when they happen, this entire passage will be fulfilled. Notice Peter in Acts 2 did not say that passage had been fulfilled. He just said, this is what's written in that passage about the Spirit coming. So I hope that, that doesn't confuse you because some of those things are, are yet future to us. But one thing that Peter does apply. So in, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 17, he starts with the passage in Joel and he talks about the Spirit of God being poured on all flesh. And then you have the signs in, nine, in verse 19 and 20, and then you get to verse 21. And, and Peter takes verse 21 and says, all right, this is, this is also referring to us because, again, there's no time mentioned. It says this, and this is what our, our message is on this morning. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, this is... This encapsulates so many things. Now, this, you can't take this verse alone. Now, I can prove that because we're going to see another passage in just a minute that is really, really relevant to understanding this verse. If you, just, if you just took this verse by itself, you ignored it, and you acted like you didn't know any other verses in the Bible, you might be confused. But this has a context. This has a context, a proper context. So to understand that, let's go to uh, let's go to Romans chapter 10. If you would, took it, look at Romans chapter 10. Because in Romans chapter 10, not only does Paul quote it, I mean Peter quote it in Acts chapter 2, but Paul also uses this same verse from this same chapter in Joel in his discussion in Romans chapter 10. Now it says in verse number, verse number 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Amen. and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's related to the confession. If you believe, you will not be ashamed, and as a result, you'll be willing to confess your faith to others. Remember, nobody knows what you believe except you tell them. Amen. That's why... That's why we see in verse number 10, it says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's inward. But brother Mark, I can't see your heart. But when you open your mouth, 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and you confess your faith in Christ publicly, that's not even talking about baptism. This is talking about your words. Well, then now I know what you believe because you've told me. They go together. You see, they go together. Now, you repeating words, you'll see, we'll see more about this in just a minute, but mere stating words is not what this is talking about. This is talking about a confession that comes out of faith in the heart. A confession with the mouth that's born out of faith in the heart. Then you get at verse 11. For the scripture saith that whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We're in Romans chapter 10. Verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. You see that? What, that's based on the word whosoever in verse 11. Which also occurs in our, our verse, verse 13. Whosoever. So the whosoever being referred to here is talking about the Jew and the Greek. Of course, we know the Jewish people, because of their relationship, covenant relationship to God, had a special status with God. But as it concerned salvation, they were the same. Romans chapter 3, what does it say? All are under sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, among us, there are people here. That And uh, Brother Ari mentioned it when we were singing the, uh, the um, Oh Beautiful. Uh, there are people in here that were born in the United States. And there are people here that were not born in the United States. There are people here that were not born in the United States and now are citizens of the United States. And there are people here that were not born in the United States, like my children. There were, two of them were not born in the United States, but they're citizens. And there's others among us that... We're not born in the United States. They're not citizens. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's Jew or Greek. This is, this is the basis for why we send missionaries, right? It makes no difference. Because the same Lord overall, verse 12, is rich unto all. I love the word all there. Is rich unto all that call upon Him. There is only one God. There is only one Lord. I mean, I know there, as the scripture says, there would be lords many and there would be gods many. You know, in other words, this world has a lot of gods. When we were missionaries in Cambodia, we, had, we met people who had another God, another Lord. Lord Buddha, they would call him. All right? We, and in other countries, they have other gods and other lords. None of that matters. Because in truth, there is one. And he is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the people that are Buddhist. And he's the Lord of the people that are, uh, that are Muslim. And he's the Lord of the people that uh, follow Confucius. He's the Lord of the Hindus, the, the people that follow Hinduism, rather. And he's the Lord of people that read the Bible. Because he is the God of all. He is the Lord of all. There is but one. The same Lord over all. So that, that, that levels the playing field. There's no difference. All are sinners. Romans 3, there is none righteous. There is none right. Let me say that again. I just need to stop there a second. There is none righteous. There is none righteous. Not a Jew, not a Gentile, not an American, not a non-American, not a person of white skin or black skin or anything in between. There is none righteous. All are sinners. This is all from there is no difference. Verse 12. There is no difference between Jew and the Greek. We're all in need of salvation. No difference. 
None of us are saved of ourselves. All of us stand in need of God's salvation. Verse 13. There's not one group of us. These days, everything is intended to divide us into little groups here and there, here and there, overlapping groups, like little, uh, what do they call them? Um, help me, help me, help me, Joseph. Venn diagrams, thank you, thank you. I knew I could get help from Joseph. We're, we're a bunch of Venn diagrams with various, various overlapping circles, and we're divided into little groups and by the amount of melanin in our skin and by our, our country of origin and, and by whether we have a beard and by whether we're male or female or, or how much hair we have or whatever, what state we're from, what era we're from, what accent we have, what education, whatever. Now, look, these things are all common among us. None of us is more deserving of God's salvation than any other. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles. But then also because it says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, all, read the next part, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. All are recipients of the richness of God's love and grace in His offer of salvation. God's offer is equal to all. So this word, whosoever, we see in verse 11 and also verse 13, is inclusive of, inclusive of everyone over whom God is the Lord. Everyone. If you, look, if, you, if you just hold your place here, you don't have to turn, but I'll just read it really quick. Is out of Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius. We'll get to this later in our study of Acts, but it says in verse 43, Peter talking to the first Gentiles who believe in Christ. Here's what he says. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, Jesus' name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. This whosoever is an open door. It's an open door. And that open door persists all the way to the very last book of the Bible, to the very last chapter, the very last verses of the very last chapter. It is a standing open door to anyone and everyone to receive the gospel. Let's keep reading verse 13. Paul quoting from Jude, uh, from Joel rather, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice that shall call upon the name of the Lord. Don't get confused by the term name of the Lord instead of the Lord. Normally we wouldn't refer to calling upon someone's name. We would say, well, I, I shouted their name. But the name is just a stand-in. It represents the person. It represents the person. And we know that God's names are significant. Did you know, in, for instance, in Isaiah, the Lord says in chapter 43, He says there is only, there is no Savior besides me. Amen. There's none other. So this word Lord, I think, is very interesting. Because if you read in... in does anybody have Joel chapter 2 in their, still in their hand? If you do, raise your hand just a little bit, a little bit. All right. Miss, Miss Pam, in Joel chapter 2 and verse number 20... Which one was it? I'm, I got to look back there myself. Verse number 28, I think. Is it 28? That word Lord, there we go. 
Is it 32? Yeah. That word Lord, notice it. Does that word Lord look different in your Bible than all the other words around it? It's in all caps. You know why? Because that, when you see that all caps in your Bible, that is called, tense it word, the tetragrammaton. That is a, that is a, a reference to the name of God, right? You, it's roughly equivalent to what we say Jehovah. It's a reference to God's name. It identifies the God of the Jews who is the one true God, the self-existent creator. Okay? Just say it like that. There's other ways you could define it. I'm not gonna, I'm not, we're not gonna split hairs over that, but that's the idea. This is the one true God, how he identified himself when he said, I am that I am to Moses the burning bush. This is him. This is his his name as revealed to us. That's why in your Bible in the Old Testament, it's all in all caps, just to let us know that this is a, a special word. All right? But when you get over to Romans chapter 10, that is being quoted. But notice it's not in all caps because, of course, you're not dealing with Hebrew. You're dealing with Greek. And in its place is the word Lord. And who is this referring to? This is referring to Jesus. This word Lord is so, is, is so significant. Here's the thing. You can call out to a false god all day and all night long. And if you're not calling the right person, it doesn't matter. You're speaking into the air. Let me say this further, because a lot of people got this wrong about, about Jesus Christ, his identity. You can call out to Jesus Christ all day long if you think Jesus is merely the Son of God, only Son of God, or merely a good teacher, or merely a religious leader, or merely something else. You can call out to that. You can call out to that Jesus all day long. That is a false Jesus. Jesus Christ is not just the Son of God. And if you think, well, he's just the Son of God, but he's not God manifest in the flesh, you misunderstand the term Son of God because the term Son of God means he is deity. If you study that out, we're not going to do that right now. But anyway, some people say, I say, well, Jesus is just the, he's just the Son of God, but he's not God. Cults teach, some cults teach that and such. You call out to that Jesus or any of these other Jesuses that I just described, that's a false Jesus. You're not going to get an answer. Because this says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You see, this this is the word Jehovah brought into the New Testament referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Old Testament Jehovah. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. W, capital W-O-R-D. That's Jesus. And it says, the Word was God. Jesus said in in, uh, John chapter 10, I and my Father are one. In John chapter 20, verse 28, Doubting Thomas said to the Lord Jesus, my Lord and my God. There's only one God. Jesus is He. He is God manifest in the flesh. This is that Lord in chapter, chapter 10, verse 13. This is the one to whom we call. And I mentioned Isaiah 43, how that, how that Jehovah says, beside me there is no Savior. And yet, behold, here he is, Jesus. His, his earthly name, Jesus, means what? Savior. He is Jehovah, come to save us. He is Jehovah. 
come to save us. God, listen now, God saw that we needed salvation from sin and from eternal death in the lake of fire. God saw that we needed salvation and God's answer was to be the Savior himself. That's in verse 13. But notice what it says. We've seen whosoever. We've seen who the Lord is and what his name is. And then in verse 13, let's look at the call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To be honest, this is hard to define. To me, maybe not to you, but to me it is. To call means, to call upon the name of the Lord, one author says, is to invoke His name in faith. What do you say? Well, what does invoke mean? I, that's what I thought when I saw that invoke. So I, you know what I did? You know what I did? I looked up the word invoke. And it means to appeal to Him for aid or protection or to summon. So to call upon God is to summon God, to call His name, to reach out to Him. Just like you would call out to one of your kids or you would call out to one of your parents. Appeal to him for aid or protection. But you see, as I said at the beginning, verse 13 does not stand alone. The minute you start reading Bible verses alone, you are going to find yourself quickly alone in error. (laughs) All right? (laughs) Read the next verse. You cannot understand verse 13 unless you've read verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how then how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, this is not a call of ignorance. You can't just take this verse and say, well, God said if I call on him, God, save me. Now, there's a context to it. You see, this is a call that that comes out of a heart. Remember, verse number 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You see that? You see that? In other words, something something has led up to this point. The heart has been prepared by a work of God in each and every one of us individually to bring us to this verse 13. And one thing that has happened before you can get to verse 13 is the heart has believed. So this call does not, is not an ignorant call. No, this call is a call of faith. It comes out of a heart of faith. It is not a call done once without knowing who or what is being called or for what reason or to what end. It's not a call that occurs once without any prior preparation of the heart. No, no, no. This is the, you might say, the capstone the conclusion of the work of God in the heart of a man that leads to him trusting in Christ. And that's evident from verse 14. How can you call upon God? How can you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ without believing in him? And yet people do it all the time. Listen now. A call, a prayer, whatever, however you want to refer to it, Saying words 
as if calling upon God without faith. And you can't have faith. Keep you look down verse 14. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? You know what's in that, in that, that sentence right there? The gospel. Because that's what they're hearing. The preacher goes and preaches the gospel. The fact that Christ died in our place as our substitute. He bore our penalty. He was buried. And then the third day he rose again. And he is alive right now, able to save, forgive, pardon us, to give us remission of sins, to wash us clean. That's the gospel. And that's in verse 14. It's not stated directly, but it's there. That's the word that they hear. So before you can believe, you have to hear the gospel. And when you believe, what are you believing? You're believing in Christ through the gospel. And then when you believe and you're fully persuaded that you can apply that truth to you in, as, an individually, per, as an individual personally, at that moment you call. You see, but it springs out of a heart of faith that's already there, you see. So this call, then, is not mechanical repetition. Please listen to me. This verse, 13, has been reduced to just saying words by many who desire to use this verse to support their favorite repetitioner. I might call it a spell. Just say the words. Just repeat after me. Just nod your head, go along with it. I was the victim of one of those. I've described that to you already in a number of weeks ago. You see, this is why, I've said this before, but just, just, just hear me. This is why you got to be careful with kids. Can kids believe on Christ and be saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of my kids have when they were young. But there is a minimum standard right? There is absolutely a minimum standard. You can't have an 18-year-old child that's barely, like, like little Seth back there, just because he, he quoted some, uh, he tried to quote some verses in, uh, in uh, uh, Sunday school. But you know what? There are people who have two-year-old children, sometimes three-year-old children, who the parents will say, oh no, honey, you're saved because you, you said the prayer when you were little. Hold on right there. There is a minimum standard of understanding. Not only do you have to understand the gospel, you can't possibly believe and trust in Christ until you, first of all, understand with your head the gospel. And then once you understand, then maybe you can believe the gospel. And then once you believe, then there's where that call comes. This is not just repeating the words. This is why you got to be careful with your kids and not just say, honey, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Come to my heart, save me. Come to my heart, save me. Listen now. Do not do that to people. That is a perversion of the gospel. That person's words must match their heart. And those words must rise up out of heart of faith, you see. It's not magic words. You see, this is why so many that, listen, just, just please hear me out. This is why so many have prayed the prayer but aren't born again. 
They imagined that the prayer did it. Their faith was in the prayer, not the Lord. Or there was, you could say, maybe there was no true spirit preparation in their heart at all to bring them to that place where they cried out to God from the heart by faith. As, you, as we see in these verses, in place of faith in Christ, they put words to be repeated. And you know what the worst thing about that is? Because, of, because they prayed prayer, yeah, I did, I did that. I've done that. They are then, they are now inoculated, vaccinated from ever considering that they might not actually be a child of God. After all, they performed the incantation. They said the words, they cast the spell. They repeated the recitation. And, and, and even worse, is that many of these people, besides the fact that they don't have any peace with God, they're terrified of dying and meeting God. They're terrified of it. They know they're not right with God. Besides all of that, they are now critical of salvation altogether. And they think, well, there's nothing to it. You know why? Because I prayed the prayer, I said the words, and nothing happened. There must not be anything to it. You're right, there's not. There's nothing to words like that. But on the other hand, when a heart, when a man's or a woman's heart, even a child's heart, God has prepared them and made them to see their sin and their peril and their danger and has brought the gospel to them and they have seen that Jesus is their only hope, out of that heart of, of trust, they cry out in simple baby language, in few words, sometimes without even the lips moving. They cry out to God. You know what you find? It doesn't matter how old they are. You find this same God, the same Lord in verse 13, comes rushing Amen. to their aid. Yes. Immediately answers. Because it comes out of a heart. The God who searches the hearts and reigns comes immediately to the aid of the person who cries out from the heart in faith. It's not about words. We've said this before. Choice Hills knows this. It's not about leading people and saying the right words and magic prayers. It's not about that. It's about a person trusting in Christ and crying out in faith. And then verse 13, it ends like this. Whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And number, numerous times in chapter 10, the word saved is mentioned. But the question, and we, we, we talked about this some over the past week in church. Saved from what? What's the context? Saved from illness? Saved from a car accident? And I'm glad Sister Rita was spared from a car accident this morning. This is not this salvation. The context of this verse is salvation from sin, from death, from hell. All that goes along with sin and being bound in sin. And the context is important because this is talking about man's greatest need. You can be healed of cancer, and I certainly hope that everyone among us that has cancer would be healed of cancer. But that's not our greatest need. 
It's not salvation from a financial difficulty or a family problem. See, people, listen, people call upon God for all of, all of these things and think that because it didn't totally up in their life, that now they're God's child. They miss the context. They were talking about apples and God's talking about oranges. And the greatest need is left untouched. When they went to God and cried out to God, and I've I, I seen this personally recently when I was witnessing to someone. And I asked them, had they, you know, trying to ascertain where they are if they called upon God. And they started to describe how they called upon God. But it was in a, Lord, make me a better person. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God, the God of heaven snatching you out of sin and death and destruction by himself, saving our souls from sin. Amen. We're not talking about an earthly and temporary peril while ignoring the greatest danger we have. And lastly, I want you to understand that it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord himself is the Savior. And the Lord himself is the one to whom we call. There's no intermediary to whom we must go through to get to the Lord. Or some ritual we must perform so that God will then hear us. No, 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 no. He is present to hear us. And finally, he saves us. Now to conclude, look at, look at Psalm 116. The parallels in this psalm are just wonderful. Look at verse 1. Psalm 116, verse 1. It says this, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. There's that call. Notice God heard speedily. Verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Notice that. This is where I'm going. We'll come back to verse 2 in a minute. Look at verse 3. The sorrows of death compass me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. This is a man who is bound in sin, who is, and I know this is the Old Testament, but as it is applied to the New Testament, this is a person lost in sin. This is a terrible place to be. You die in this, you die in this place, you go to hell. You lose hope. The Lord, listen, the Lord will turn you away at the judgment. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. But the psalmist says God delivered him. Verse 4, then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord. Look at verse 8. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, and mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Look at verse 10. I believed. See that? Therefore have I spoken. I was greatly, you, you see that? The mouth speaks because what's in the heart. You see that? That's that, print, that same principle we read, read in uh, Romans 10. Then verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation. Notice in verse 13 and verse 16, he's still calling upon the Lord. So in, in the top, he was already delivered from his, from his sin, if you want to make that comparison. 
He was delivered already. He cried out to God in his distress. God saved him from death, from the pains of hell that had got hold upon him. He cried out to God and God delivered him in verse 4. But then in verse 13, here he is calling upon God again. I will take the cup of salvation, which he already has now, and will call upon the name of the Lord. Then in verse 16, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. Again, salvation. Verse 17, I will offer to thee the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Even though he's been delivered when he called upon God the first time, what do we find him doing? Calling upon God over and over and over. So here's what I'm trying to get to. Romans 10, 13 is just the beginning. That's when we call upon God for salvation, when we finally come to understand that we are truly, truly in danger. That we are alienated from the life of God. That we are, we are defiled and dirty in God's sight. And that we are worthy of death and judgment. And we finally come to, come to understand the gospel that Christ took our place and died for our sins and was buried and rose again to, to make, he provided salvation. And we come to him and trust in him. And that trust, that heart of trust cries out to God, God, save me. I need you to save me. You are my only hope. And we cry out to Jesus and Jesus saves us. But that's just the first time we call on God. We begin at that point to live a life that is characterized by calling upon God all the time. And now, not, of course, not for salvation. We've already been saved, just as we saw in the psalm, but for every other thing. And God is always there, not because He serves us, but because He loves us. And He comes to our call when He's summoned, not because He must, but because he wants to. Man. So the life of a person who calls upon God, calls upon Christ to save them, is just the beginning of a life of calling upon God. Just like we see with Abraham making those altars and calling upon God. And down in Genesis when Seth was born, it says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Our life as a believer now should be characterized by calling upon God. Brother Ari's going to come. I just want to ask you something. Go back to that day that you called upon God to save you. Did you call upon him from your heart with a, with a heart of faith, trusting in Christ? Or was it just words repeated? I'm not trying to convince you of anything. My goal today was just to look at the text of the Bible. Is that where you are? You know, if not, I hope and pray that you'll deal with that matter so that you can know for sure that God has really come to your deliverance. Let's pray together.